Good morning. How we doing, y'all? Okay. Okay. Last morning, okay? We go home today. This is your last time in chapel at Hume Lake Christian Camps 2022. Let me ask you that again. How we doing this morning? Okay. All right. We're awake. Here we go. Okay. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to dive straight in this morning. Let me see them. Uh, let me see them up in the a year. Let me see him. Let me see him. Let me see him. Heck yeah. Okay. By now you are well acquainted with where the book of Jonah is, even though it's teensy tiny, right? Let's, let's turn to this book of Jonah and we're going to wrap up this morning in this story. Um, golly, these dramas are awesome, right? Like it's just such a cool representation. You, you can read the text and then you see it come to life up here in such a creative format. What a, what a fun weekend that we get to have with box sled blitz and broom hockey and incredible dramas. But more than anything, I hope what you walk away from this weekend is what we started the conversation with, that divine appointment. Right, that some of you, maybe this weekend for the very first time, made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, it's, it's now your life, not my life. And from here on out, every day for the rest of your life is going to look different. But what an incredible journey that you now get to walk on in freedom. Right, I, I love that first song that we sang, the, the line, the highest name has set me free. And in that last song, I ran out of that grave. Y'all, do you get that? That this weekend, you get to walk from bondage into freedom. That you get to walk out of that grave from death into life because of who God is. First John chapter 4 says that he is love. Remember when he expressed what his name is? He said that I am the Lord, the Lord. And compassionate and slow to anger, steadfast in love, extending to a thousand generation, forgiving wickedness and rebellion, right? That there's no shame, there's no place for shame in the kingdom of God. It didn't exist when he created you and it won't exist in eternity with him. That's for some of us this weekend, whether it was a moment of repentance or, or, or maybe a, a first-time decision that you get to walk now in freedom as you drive down that mountain, as you go back into your life and your daily life, that you can do so now walking in complete freedom. You get to live this life, as John 10.10 10 says, that it's just this life and life abundant, that what God's desire for you is, is that you were fully fulfilled and fully satisfied in him. What a gift. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with us. And that's what we want to talk about this morning and dive in. So if you're there already in Jonah, read with me in chapter 4, verse 2. Okay? All right, we're going to start in verse 1 because why not? Okay? So Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What seemed very wrong? The Ninevites getting saved, right? Remember the Ninevites? They decided to listen to God. They believed God enough to actually do what he says. What a concept, right? They believed him at his word. It, that when Jonah came into town and said, on behalf of God, which he kind of gives like, he gives a gospel message. He gives good advice, right? Or sorry, not good advice, good news. He says, you are living a wicked life, but there's good news. Like God is who he said he is. And, and if you turn from your ways, maybe he'll relent. And the king goes, okay, if we turn from our ways, maybe God will save us. Why? Because God's heart is always for his purposes and his purpose is always for salvation, and so they relent, they turn from their ways, and God chooses to save 120,000 people in Nineveh, the, the end of chapter 4 says. But to Jonah, he's not too happy about that. 
He looks at these people and he says, they weren't worth saving. They were too far gone. They were too rotten. They were too broken. That's not fair. (laughs) You ever said those words before in life? That's not fair. And I find it ironic in the same way that in this drama it was expressed this morning that Jonah finds himself tossed overboard in the ocean thinking this is it. This is the end. And then God chooses to save him, first and foremost with the storm and then with the whale. And he has the audacity to say this isn't fair. Wait, but don't we do that all the time? Right? Like we, we look around in life and go like, my, whatever my situation is that I'm walking through right now, and some of them are wrong. Like I work with high school students and the, the amount that y'all are going through, right? That maybe the, the pressure that you're experiencing, maybe the, the unhealth in your family, maybe it's a, a sickness or a brokenness, maybe it's a struggle with anxiety or depression. Like there's a lot happening in your life and it's easy to start thinking, man, this, this isn't fair, Unless we take a big step back and gain the perspective that the gardener is trying to give Jojo here to go, do you know who I am? And do you know who you are? Trust me, friends, we don't want fair. When you walk through the good news that we walked through last night, we don't want fair. Standing in front of the God of the universe, trust me, we don't want fair because we know what fair leads us with. But Jonah's upset here, and in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, To Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, a.k.a. Tijuana. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. In chapter four, verse two here, do you pick up on this language here? I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Do you know what this sounds like? Sounds like Exodus 34, right? Remember Exodus 34 that that we looked at when God has a name, that he's not just some impersonal God, he's not just some being up there. Do you remember what he said his name was? He said, I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It seems like Jonah's calling on his name, right? I knew this is what would happen. You're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Friends, when we start falling in love with this text, when we start looking at this book with new eyes and understanding, this isn't just a rule book. It's not just here to give you a boring life. This isn't a book of a list of things that you have to get to God. This is the greatest story ever told about what God has done to get to you. Why? Because he is love himself and he wants to extend an invitation that he's a God that pursues, that his heart is always for his purpose, even when our heart is against his purpose. And when we start opening up this book and seeing it in in a new light with fresh eyes, we start picking up on these themes and moments of foreshadowing and we see how the whole thing is intertwined and interwoven to tell one great story. Any Marvel fans out there? Y'all like Marvel? Okay, I'm convinced of this at this point in my life, okay? Um, There are like, there, there are people that are like Marvel fans and then there's people that are like Marvel fans, 
You know what I'm talking about? Are there any like Marvel fans in the crowd? Okay, my man, like I said, okay? Like there's people that are like, yeah, great, Marvel movies. And then there's people that are like, I live the Marvel universe, okay? And uh, I, I like, I'm probably more on the side of like, yeah, I'm a Marvel fan. Like, I like a good movie, I like a good story. But I was, I was, uh, my church went to see the the Marvel movie Endgame. Y'all seen that movie? It was a good one, right? We went to see that movie, and we we booked out a movie theater, and I was, I happened to sit next to our senior pastor's son. His name's Barrick, and we were sitting there, and there's a scene in the movie where. Uh, Thor is fighting Thanos. You know what I'm talking about? Did they say that right? Thanos. Those are the Marvel people, okay? They're like, it's Thanos, right? My bad, okay? Thor's fighting Thanos. Did I say that right? Okay. Hate to offend anybody, okay? So he, they're, they're fighting, right? And it, and it comes to this moment where, where he, he takes his axe and he's like pressing it into Thor's chest and you're like, oh no. And then all of a sudden, like a hammer comes out of nowhere and it's like, and it like hits Thanos. And then like Thanos, golly, I'm sorry. Jeez, okay? It's like the Salem witch trials are here, okay? Like it's Thanos for the third time, okay? So He's, he, the, the hammer comes out of nowhere and hits him and then the, the camera like pans back and like standing in the middle of the battlefield is a like blue spandex boy, right? It's like Captain America. And he's like, and he like catches the hammer. And I'm sitting there and the whole theater went, and like lost their minds. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like what? What happened, right? And Barrick, you should have seen the look of disgust on his face, right? Barrick's sitting next to me. He looks at me and he goes, what happened? Just cosmic eye roll, right? And he's just like, you don't get it, right? And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, that's why I'm asking. Like, what happened? And he's like, oh, okay, let me explain it to you, right? He's like, that's Thor's hammer. And inscripted on the side of Thor's hammer, it says something to the amount of, right? Like, he who is worthy of wielding Thor's hammer, or Jonathan, or whatever, right? Whatever it's called, right? Like, whoever's worthy of wielding this thing, can, can pick it up, can carry it. And like, there's this awesome scene in the movie where the Hulk goes over and he's like, like tries to pick it up and his feet just like sink into the ground. So it's not about being strong enough. It's about being worthy. And so in this moment, when Captain America is like yielding it, it's like, oh, he is worthy. <laughs> like all Marvel people are like freaking out and losing their minds. But if you don't have the context for it, you're sitting there ignorant like me going like, blue spandex boy has a hammer. Congratulations. Like I... <laughs> I don't get it. But everybody who's like steeped in the Marvel universe, in this moment, it's like, like Thanos is like gonna destroy the universe and Thor was their last hope, but then Captain America sweeps in and once upon a time, he was this like skinny guy and then he went into a machine and there was like this bright light and he was like, I couldn't handle it. And he went from like skinny guy to like Captain America yoked like six foot 10 Chad, right? And you go like, this dude, like it's this transformation and you have to go back and you have to understand like Winter Soldier and you got it like, and I'm like, oh, wow. Like there is so much to this. And he's like, yeah, like welcome to the picture, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sorry, right? Like, I'm so sorry. But friends, when you start understanding the context of a universe like the Marvel Universe, you pick up on these subtle little details and things like foreshadowing and the story becomes exciting and little things like a hammer flying, you start getting it and understanding. And I promise you, 
I promise you, right? Like you might, you might think I'm like some Bible nerd and you're like, well, you're a pastor and so like you have to be excited about that. But I promise you, if you start picking up this text daily, not because you have to, not because you're like checking a box on like a, a good Christian life, right? You do your 15 minutes and you got like your coffee and you're like, well, I did my quiet time. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being somebody that has a hunger and a thirst for God's word. If you start diving into this book, you'll start picking up on foreshadowing and context clues and little things, and you'll start going like, wait, did, in Jonah, did he just call him gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding love? That sounds like Exodus 34. And you'll flip back and you'll read the Exodus story and you'll start picking up on the fact that God says, my name is compassionate and slow to anger. And you'll start picking up on the fact that the the nature of the gospel, the essence of the story is that God saves us from bondage into the promised land. And and, and, and in the Exodus story, he saves them from bondage, from slavery, through the waters of the Red Sea into a promised land. And you go, wait, wait a second. New Testament, we are, we're called we're, that we're slaves to sin and then we're saved through the waters of baptism into a promised land, which isn't a land at all. It's actually a relationship with the God of the universe. And then you'll turn over to places like Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where you got a bunch of religious leaders asking Jesus for a sign And he says, the only sign I'm going to give you in in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And you'll go, wait a second. I was just at a winter camp where we talked about Jonah. And he said, just like Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And then he will resurrect and prove that he can make dead things alive. And God uses the story of Jonah, a teeny tiny little book in the Old Testament, but a prophet that would have been well known to say, this is a sign of things to come. And you'll read a story like Jonah and go, foreshadowing, I got chills. And this thing will start to become a black and white movie and it'll turn into color in 3D and words will pop off the page, right? This book, it says about itself that it is living and active, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. This isn't a book like any other book. It wasn't meant to be read from beginning to end and then put down and go, okay, cool, I've read that story. No, it's meant to be lived in. Now, one of my favorite things to do is spend time around uh, both of my grandpas. Both of my grandpas are, are, are mighty men of the Lord, and they're people that still daily spend time in God's word. And in their 80s, they're like, man, I'm still learning about who this God is. And I'm like, what? Like, you'd think they would have had it figured out by then, but they go, no, 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 God still continues to surprise me and show me and demonstrate these things, just new things about who he is and his character and they're falling in love with him more and more on a daily basis. And I go, man, I want to be like that. I got a lot to learn. I got a long ways to go. And why do I, why do I invite you into falling in love with God's word? Friends, it's not because I want you to fall in love with God's word for falling in love with God's word's sake. It's because I want you to fall in love with the God of this book. And understand that he is love. Understand that there's no shame in his presence. Understand that his deepest desire for you is your ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in him. See, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 
says that with God, a thousand years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years, that our God is outside of time. In order for him to be the author and creator of life, in order for him to be the start, the beginning of the space-time continuum, it means that he has to be outside of it. And so for us, the way that we see time linearly, he's outside of it. And so for him, a thousand days is like a day, and a day is like a thousand, sorry, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And he says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 9, he says, our God is not slow in the way that we think of slowness. See, that, that the Bible, it promises that Jesus didn't just resurrect and then leave. It says that he left and then promised to come back. And Philippians chapter two says that when he returns, there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he said he is. But he says this, in the meantime, in the in-between, in the waiting, that we have a job to do. He says that God is not slow to come back like we think of slowness, right? Like God's not, it's the, the last 2,000 years since Jesus left earth. It, it's, it's not that he's slow to return, it's that he's patient. See, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 9 says that God doesn't want anybody to perish, Remember what we talked about last night? That there's a God that we've suppressed that truth, that there's no one righteous, there's no one right with God, not even one, and that the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we, we opened up this invitation to go, if you understand that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we were given an opportunity to surrender our life, and many of you in this room have surrendered your life. But there will be a day where we stand face to face with the creator of the universe, or there will be a day where Jesus returns and you'll be asked a question, are you gonna pay for your sins or is Jesus? The way that you lived your life, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, is he paying for your sins or are you? And that question will be asked of every human being that's ever walked this earth. And so the question is, friends, for us, not only do we understand that we have the opportunity to be saved, but we now have a job to do. See, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, there's something called the Great Commission. And when Jesus resurrects from the dead, he comes back and he sits down with his guys. And in Matthew chapter 28, he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which, that's a bold statement, right? right? You ever had somebody try to like flex power on you, like a mall cop or like a TSA agent, right? Like they're in control of what they're in control of, like when they're in control of it. And so like, they're like, this is my zone, right? Like this is nobody, this is my spot. And it's, like, it's always like when you see somebody that's like a, like, a, a, like a mall cop or like a TSA agent or something like that, and, and like they're like, I'm the boss here. You're like, okay, <laughs> TSA agent. Like until I'm 20 feet that way and then you're not the boss anymore, right? Like it's, it's kind of a funny thing. But when somebody walks into a room and says, 
all authority, not in this sphere, not in this room, not on this hill, not on this mountain, not in this state, not in this country, all authority on earth and in all of the heavens is mine. You go, okay, <laughs> like we're listening. The next thing out of that man's mouth has got to be important if the first thing he says is all authority in heaven on earth is mine. And then he says this, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he looks at them and he makes them a promise and he says, but I'm gonna be with you. You know, it always makes me laugh about this story, right? If you flip over, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're your four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all kind of tell the story in a different way. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And so he's very, he writes with a lot of like Old Testament lingo. The very beginning of Matthew is like a list of names tying Jesus back to King David. And, and you read Matthew and it's, it's 28 chapters of a lot of Jewish history. Mark's like your bang, bang gospel. It reads like a newspaper. 16 chapters, everything's like immediately Jesus did this and immediately Jesus did that. Then Luke's a doctor, right? Anybody's family in here, doctor, medical, whatever. So like very concerned with detail. Luke's like, yes, and the way that Jesus healed was this, right? Like he writes like very detailed. And then John's like your stoner gospel, right? John writes entirely different, right? There's not even a, like a Christmas story in John. He starts out like, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And you're like, what are you talking about, John? Like... He just writes entirely different. He says, look, I'm not concerned with order. I'm not concerned with like immense detail. John chapter 20, he gives away. He says, I write these things so that you might believe and that through believing, you might have life in the son of Jesus. That's John's concern. And when you read the story of Jesus in all four gospels, it's telling about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And at the end of all of those stories, Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna be with you. Matthew 28, I'm going to be with you. And then you turn over to Acts chapter 1. And you know what one of the first things you see in Acts chapter 1? It's called the ascension, right? And Jesus like drifts away into the clouds. I hope like heaven has like a DVR or some sort of like YouTube where I can go back and watch this moment because I want to I see this moment because Jesus is like, hey, listen, disciples, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. All authority is mine. Go, go make disciples of the, the entire world. And they're like, the whole world? And he's like, yeah, the whole world. And they're like, okay, bet. Like, we're in. He's like, I'm gonna be with you. And they're like, Jesus is gonna be with us. And then Jesus is like, peace. <laughs> and like ascends into heaven. And he's like, wait, didn't he, didn't he just say he was gonna be with us? And then these two angels come and they're like, what are you looking at? And they're like, geez, like we were, we were looking at Jesus. Like he just, he just said he was gonna be with us and then he ascended. What's going on here? And I love this moment in the Bible, but we have to go back to John chapter 16 to understand what it means that Jesus is gonna be with us. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. You ever read parts of the Bible where you read it and then you're like, mm, yes, wait, what? That ever happened to you? You like read a verse and, or you're, you're like youth pastor reads a verse or something or you're like listening to the dwell app and it's like you read it and you're like, hmm. Wait, huh? This is one of those verses for me. John chapter 16. It's better for you that I go away. Mm, wait, what? Why? 
Okay, I don't care how good your youth pastor is, which he's probably awesome, right? Or she's probably awesome. But if you go home and like this Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whatever night your youth group is, right? Like if you drive down the mountain and it's like, hey, friends, special guest speaker this week, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is gonna be in town, right? Like you're not gonna be like, shoot, got homework that night. Like that's not gonna happen. Like you're gonna miss practice, right? You're not gonna study for that test as much as you want to. Like if Jesus is in town, and he's gonna speak that night and you can sit and have a conversation with him, like wouldn't that be bananas? And you just get to like sit down and you're like, Jesus, I got a few questions, right? Like I, I wanna know certain things about the beginning of time. I wanna know certain things about how you spoke into creation, the world that we live in. I wanna, I wanna know certain things that don't seem very fair to me. I wanna know why, whatever it is. Like if you could have that conversation face to face with Jesus, wouldn't that be pretty awesome? And he goes, trust me, it's better for you that I go away. And I'm like, well, except for the fact that I don't think it is. But why would Jesus say that? It's better for you that I go away. Why? He says, because I'm going to send one. I'm going to send a, an advocate. I'm going I'm to send my spirit. Right? That, that God is three in one. That he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, when he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I'm gonna send one that's gonna come and he's gonna remind you of the words I've spoken. He's gonna convict you of sin when you need to be convicted. It's gonna be that small, gentle whisper that you'll learn to listen to. And my, my dad always taught me, he said, when you think a thought that's too smart for you to think, it's probably God. It's those moments in life where your mind is going one direction and then there's just this like thought in the complete opposite direction. It's the small gentle whisper that says, you need to go and talk to that person. Hey, you should, you should pray for him right now. Hey, I, I think she needs somebody that just needs to listen. And for those of us that have surrendered our life to Jesus, the spirit is promised. And so not only can you sit down face to face with the God of the universe through the spirit, so can somebody in China and so can somebody in South Africa and in Australia and Papua New Guinea. See, like Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away because then I'm not just in one place at one time. I'm not bound to like this one location. I can be in all places at the same time. And as we gather and open up God's word, the same thing can happen across the globe for those of us that have surrendered our life to Jesus and now have the gift of the spirit. But friends, Matthew chapter 28 and Jesus walking with you through the spirit so that you can go and make disciples, it's not an optional thing. It's not like Christianity 201, that God has a plan A and it's you and it's me and it's the church and there is no plan B. So as you go home, and, you, and you're walking the hallways of your school and you're playing on your sports teams and maybe even in your own family and in your friend groups, the people that you know in your life, you, you confidently know and understand that they're not walking with Jesus. They, they don't know this good news. And maybe you're afraid to give them advice or you're afraid to try to convince them of, of some religious ideology or a philosophy of life. Remember, it's not a philosophy of life. It's good news, not good advice. You simply get to share it. Here's what Jesus did in my life. What's the number one question you get when you get home from camp? 
How was camp? How was camp? Friends, what if you spent the rest of today or the bus ride down preparing an answer that wasn't good? Or that wasn't, oh man, the box led blitz was awesome. Was it awesome? Heck yeah, right? Like, so fun. I laughed so hard last night. It was incredible. Right? Like, everything about this weekend has been fun. And talk about the fun things for sure, but talk about the divine appointment where the God of the universe met you this weekend. Use your story. Why? Because, friends, eternity is long and hell is hot. And God has given you the message of the good news of the Bible to share with the people around you. That's not a someday thing. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, it wasn't about a missions trip that you'll go on one day your senior year. No, friends, God cares much more about the location of your heart than he does the location of your feet. And he wants your heart falling in love with his word so that you can fall in love with him so that you can share the good news of the gospel as you go throughout your life. One of my favorite pictures of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter five. It says this, it says, we are now Christ's ambassadors. And 2 Corinthians five says, once upon a time, we viewed things as just the physical here and now, but now we don't do that, do, do that anymore. We view things on an eternal scope and we understand that we're not just a body, that we're a soul and that those souls will spend either eternity with God or eternity apart from God. And 2 Corinthians five says, we are now Christ's ambassadors. You know what the role of an ambassador is? It's to represent another country's interests in a different country. So I grew up in Ecuador, right? I spent 11 years of my life down in Ecuador and every 4th of July, we would go to the ambassador's house. And when I was there, it was this, this gal and she would host this big American party every time, that, uh, every time the 4th of July came around. And so she was the ambassador of the United States of America in Ecuador. So her job was to represent the U.S.'s interests politically in Ecuador, in this foreign land. And so she would sit with government, she would sit with council, and she would go, this is the interest, this is what America's like, this is the, the, the goals of America, this is what we're trying to accomplish, and she would do so in Ecuador. But she would host this party. And every year, we would go um, from wherever we lived in Quito to the ambassador's house, and friends, the second you like walked in the gates, it was like, this kind of feels like the US. It was like a little piece of the United States of America in Ecuador. And you'd walk in and you'd smell the smells of barbecue and you'd be like, oh, it smells like freedom, right? You'd be like, and there'd be like American flags and somebody would walk up to you and be like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, oh, English, right? Like they're speaking the native tongue of the land that I'm from and it smells like the place that I'm from. And there'd be like music playing and it's like ACDC playing and you're like, oh, like America, right? Like it's like you just, like everything just, it sounds like and it feels like it. and the conversation and like you'd open up a cooler and it'd be like Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew and you're like, oh, it couldn't be. <laughs> like these things, you, you couldn't get these things in Ecuador. You didn't walk into a grocery store and get that kind of soda. You couldn't get that kind of candy. And so when you walk into the ambassador's house, everything about it, you're, like, you're starting to experience what America's like in a foreign country. Remember what I said about C.S. Lewis, that C.S. Lewis quote, that if we find that here on earth, that nothing really satisfies, nothing really fulfills, then maybe, just maybe, we were made for something greater than this earth. What 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about is when we are given the title of ambassador, our role now is to show people, demonstrate to a watching world around us what God is like. 
what his character's like, how the people of God talk to one another, how they treat one another, how they forgive one another. And when we open up his word, our goal doesn't become to be good moral Christians because that's what we're supposed to do. No, our goal becomes representing God here on earth. I'm his ambassador. So as people see the way that I treat one another in my youth group, as people see the way that I talk to my friends, and especially the people that aren't my friends, not just how do you treat the people that you like, how do you treat the people that you really don't like? How do you treat the people that really don't like you? And as we pick up this book and we start to understand what God's like, it changes the way that I start walking through my life. It gives me a sense of purpose, a sense of mission going, I now, for every minute of every moment of the rest of my life, am invited in on the greatest mission of all time, and it's to represent God here on earth. What an exciting job. That gives me so much purpose. And in every minute of every moment of the rest of your life, you get to be his ambassador. He's chosen you. And on your sports team, and in your family, and in your hallways, you're his plan A, and there isn't a plan B. Would we take that job seriously? Would, would we wear it with pride? Not as a heavy weight of, oh, I have to do this, but as what a, what a gift, what an opportunity. And friends, as you go down the mountain, I just want to close with this. My greatest fear for you, hey, look at me real quick. My greatest fear for you is not that you're gonna watch some YouTube video or read some book or be told by somebody that God isn't who he said he was or that you're gonna disprove scripture. My greatest fear is that you're not gonna find something that debunks Christianity. I, I haven't been doing this for, for forever, but I've been doing it for a little bit now. And I haven't had one moment in my life yet where somebody's walked up to me and went, hey, I was following Jesus yesterday, but I can't get past this piece of evidence and I'm not gonna follow him anymore. That's not my fear for you. But you know what my fear is? That you'll have this slow drift and that you'll settle for a mediocre version of your life with Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came, Jesus said, that you might have life and life abundant. Theologian John Piper said that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Friends, he wants your deepest satisfaction. He wants your deepest fulfillment. But when we choose to settle and God just becomes kind of this thing who's a part of our life. When we go to church, maybe Sundays and Wednesdays or Sundays and Tuesdays, and we go twice a week and there's 168 hours in a week and we give them, you know, 10 to 15 of them. You're gonna settle for this mediocre version of following him. And then the statistics right now of students graduating high school and going, eh, yeah, it was a fun weekend. It was a great camp. And like church was, it was cool to hang out with friends and stuff, but like, that's not for me. Friends, at, at that point, my, my fear is not that you've disproven this book. My fear is not that you've found the bones of Jesus or disproved the fact that he resurrected. It's that you've settled for a lie. 
that there isn't a God of the universe who has a purpose for your life and his heart is for you and you are now meant to live every minute of every day in his love so that you can turn around and demonstrate to the world what love actually is. Not what the world defines it is, as, as the Bible defines it, as God defines it. Because it's not a concept, it's a person. God is love. So don't settle. Dive into your youth groups. Ask your youth pastors and your leaders hard questions. Lean into community. Why? Because there's a watching world out there that needs you to carry forward the gospel and be his ambassador. Pray with me. God, thanks for this weekend. God, thanks for what a gift it was to laugh together, to play together. God, to sing, to worship together. God, as we go home, would these be things that we continue to do in our life? God, would we continue to worship you through music? Would we continue to live in community? Would we continue to daily dive into your word, God, not just to check a box, but to understand who you are more, because I'm confident the more that we understand who you are and your purpose and your heart, the more our heart will be aligned with yours. God, may my heart continuously be aligned with yours. May my heart be for your purpose. God, we love you. Thank you for saving us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.